and unsurpassed, penetrating and perfect dharma is rarely met with even in a hundred thousand million kalpas, having it to see and listen to, to remember and accept. I vow to taste the truth of the Tathagata's words. Good morning. Kate and I are, I almost said running the show. We're not really running the show. We're talking a bit. Um, don't say good morning, Kate. I think she said good morning. She's muted. But it's okay. I'll, I'll start off. Good morning. Good morning. I was going to stay muted um, while you talk just because it helps with the sound, I think. I think you're right. Okay. Still like that. So today we are um, going to be discussing the three pure precepts, and um, we'll kind of take turns um, and we're going to discuss each of them. Um, so the three pure precepts, of course, um, are I vow to refrain from all evil. I vow to make every effort to live in enlightenment, and I vow to live and be lived for the benefit of all beings. In our full moon ceremony, um, when we say, I vow to refrain from all evil, the doshi says, responds, so there's, I vow to refrain from all evil, clack, I, I vow to refrain from all evil, echo, um, with the um, literally E-C-H-O. Um, and then uh, the doshi alone says, it is the abode, the source, and the law of all Buddhas. So, with all that, refraining from evil can seem like it means, I mean, can seem like it means various things. It can seem like it means to restrict oneself, to just, you know, suppress one's urge to do bad things. And evil can seem like it's something out there that, or maybe even inside of us, something solid that we have to stop doing or we have to prevent ourselves from doing. But to me, refraining is zazen. Zazen is not doing so much. It's not suppressing anything. And by zazen, I mean zazen mind. Whether we're in a large group of people, in a noisy crowd, in the subway, or whether we're sitting on our cushion, zazen is to hold everything and let it go. Or maybe, at least my experience is, zazen holds everything so I can let it go. Interested in fact, uh, Makes sense to people later when in the coming period. Um, but Dogen uh, talks about uh, there being no absolute evil. Don't make the thought of evil more powerful than it is. He says if you did something wrong, just sit with your remorse. If you want to, if you want to do something you know is evil, sit with that desire. Don't judge it, just like we, we do in Zazen and with Zazen mind. Don't judge yourself. Don't say, I am a bad person. Because, of course, that just makes evil seem more powerful. It makes it seem like it's part of me. 
I'm evil. I'm bad. So we don't want to do that. So the precept of refraining from evil is to be with what seems to be evil to us at any given time, or harmful, maybe is another word, whether it's harmful to ourselves or to others, and to first notice it, then once we notice it, we can release it. In fact, we don't have to do anything once we notice it. Just keep breathing and sitting. Once it's been noticed, that's it. I'd like to read something from the Shobo Genzo that Dogen says, when I say Dogen is, says this and that, I'm thinking of the Shobo Genzo, the chapter called Unrefrained from All Evil. And um, this, this I felt was particularly moving to me in that uh, Dogen, if, if you remember the Bindoa, uh, where he says that when we sit, when even one person sits in Zazen for even an instant, the grasses, the trees, the everybody, all beings, the gods, the Buddhas, all of us sit in Zazen. All of us are instantly enlightened. And he says something very similar about not refraining from evil. He says, once the person has arrived at the point where they are no longer doing all manner of evil, the strength from their training and practice will immediately manifest itself before their very eyes. This blossoming of strength will extend beyond all places, all worlds, all times, all things. And the measuring it will take refraining as a yardstick. So I'm going to pass it over to GUK if, um, if you don't mind taking it up from here. Sure. No, thank you, Steve. When Steve and I were talking about these precepts and about how to understand them, and I started doing more reading again, I really focused um, on The Heart of Being by John Dido Laurie. And what I realized, once again, that I'd forgotten is these three precepts are so interdependent that it, it's really difficult to talk about one without including the others in some way. Refrain from evil, do good, um, and live and be loved for the benefit of all beings. They're, they are so interdependent. Uh, so we can talk about evil and what that might mean, um, but these aren't about, it's about prajna wisdom not about saying this is bad and so I'm not going to do it. <laughs> and interestingly, this morning, just before I, well, earlier this morning, Sonny had his hand in the drawer and I didn't notice. And I closed the drawer and he went, ah. <laughs> and we started to laugh. And he said, it reminds me of my father. His father was a Marine. And uh, he said, when I closed my I got my fingers in, 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 the garage, in the car door. My sister slammed the door on my hand and my father didn't miss a beat. He looked over and he said, well, son, you're gonna have to learn how to keep your fingers out of the car door. And at first I thought, wow, that's cold. And, 
and I didn't ask him, and I need to ask him. I think he probably also then went over to make sure that his fingers were not seriously injured. But in a way, for me, that was a great illustration of he didn't say, you're horrible, bad boy for stupid person. He didn't blame the daughter. He said, pretty much you're going to have to learn to pay attention and be aware. And so I'm not sure this exactly fits, but it really struck me. And what in the heart of meeting, he talks about not create, you don't create evil. It's about not creating evil. And he says it's the fundamental teaching of Buddhism and the, the central pillar of craft practice. So it's about having the opportunity when something arises to to choose to not make it more um, and there was one thing i wanted to read it as well the three pure precepts essentially define the order of harmony in the universe in the harmonious universe there is not creating evil there is the practice of good and there is the actualization of good for others. Then each of the 10 grave precepts, which we're going through and studying sort of one by one, expresses the how. So the pure precepts sort of lay out the order of the universe. This is, this is Buddha nature. These three precepts describe Buddha nature. And then the grave precepts are the how. One side is the affirmative, one side is prohibitive. They work together. They are interdependent and arise mutually. Actualizing good for others is nothing other than the mutual identity of not creating evil and practicing good. It is the great heart of Kanan Bodhisattva manifesting in the world as compassion. It's really difficult, I think, to say there is no evil when we can see so much that appears to be evil. Um, I know it's a challenge for me. So, back to what Steve was saying about Zazen. As we strengthen our practice, what the first precept means for me is, is to develop that awareness so that, so that there is an opportunity. I think without practice, there's no opportunity and so you may unwittingly create evil. Those are some of my thoughts. Back to you, Steve. Thanks, Kate. So the next precept that of the three pure precepts is, I vow to make every effort to live in enlightenment. 
It also is sometimes translated as, I vow to practice all that is good. And uh, Dogen says, the good has no previous independent existence on its own waiting to be accomplished and is formless. He says that, that's also in the Shogo Genzo that I was reading from earlier. In the full moon ceremony, we call as I vow to make every effort to live in enlightenment, and the response is the same. And then um, the Doshi, the person leading the ceremony, then says that, and these are all, by the way, these things I'm saying that the Doshi says are uh, poetic expressions that were uh, supposedly attributed, they are attributed to um, Dogen and or um, Bodhidharma. Anyway, the, the poetic line is, it is the teaching of Anuttara Samyak Sambodhi. It is the path and the practice. So, so for good or for enlightenment to be, we have to practice. We vow to make every effort to live in enlightenment. Doing that is practicing the here and now in the here and now. As the poetry says, it is a teaching of Anuttara Samyak Sambodhi. You may remember that from the Heart Sutra, which we usually translate in our Sangha as unsurpassed, complete, perfect enlightenment when we chant the Heart Sutra. All Buddhas depend on Prajnaparamita and attain unsurpassed, complete, perfect enlightenment. That's when it's been realized that form is emptiness and emptiness is form. As, as Kay said, these pure precepts are prana wisdom. They're, they're not, you know, they're not something that we just think about and say it. They're something that we want to get into our bones and that we do when we sit. And to truly see the form as emptiness is to be part of the universe. But we have to not forget that practice of the subway. We ride the subway and it's off the cushion, which is that emptiness form. That's to treat each being as the universe. Whether it's a spider that you rescue from the bathtub or the person who, um, who accidentally hits you in the subway um, on their way out the door in a hurry. It is the path of the practice in the poetry means that enlightenment and practicing are not different. That's a really common theme of Dogen's, of course. That's why we like him. And just in case anybody's listening who doesn't know who Dogen is, I've been talking about him, and Dogen was the founder of Soto Zen in Japan in the 13th century, and a great writer, poet, philosopher, and he sat a whole lot somehow, despite writing a lot, too. Anyway, he says, um, so you have to hold the universe, just like Zazen holds us in compassion, be aware, make every effort to stay awake. That's what is the path and the practice means to me. And uh, Kate, what would you like to add? This precept for me really is about bodhisattva practice. And, and, and compassionate practice. So the Anuttara Samyaks 
Sambodi. Am I saying that correctly? I don't have that right in front of me. But in the heart of being, he says, doing good in complete intimacy is the embodiment and activity of the 10,000 hands and eyes of Kanan Bodhisattva. Kanan Bodhisattva, for those of you who have not met her, is the Bodhisattva of compassion. She is called the hearer of the cries of the world. She doesn't always appear in the form of a goddess or even necessarily in a female form. She may appear as a god or a devil. She responds without mind. There is no thought. She doesn't know about doing. Compassion arises spontaneously out of wisdom. And I think this is what Steve was referring to. It's not, I'm gonna go do good, or I'm going to create this thing for good. It arises, this, this kind of good, I think, arises spontaneously as a result of the way that you live your life, really. Um, someone falls, you pick them up, no thought. I really like too that she said, he says about uh, Kanan Bodhisattva, if she's gonna help a drunk in a bar, she'll probably appear as, not, as another drunk, not as a holy being glowing with light. So then he also tells a story, and I remember reading this when we were sewing our, our rakasus. And just for future reference, we don't have time today, and Steve and I wrestled with this a little bit. There's a lot about karma in the writing on these three precepts, and that, that could be a whole another four-week class, I think. So we, we decided not not touch that here since we, we don't have that long. But he, 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 he tells the story of um, a city neighborhood and there were a couple of big dogs that got out from a fence and they attacked a little girl. And this tiny little woman, tiny little old woman, sort of ran over and threw herself on the dogs and and they were biting her and biting the girl and 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 she you know finally people came over and and helped but but she put herself between those dogs and that child and when they were asking her how how did you do that how, how could you possibly do that and she said the girl was being hurt she didn't have a reason, and it wasn't a, a premeditated action. She saw something, and she was there. And I think that's the spirit in which I try to understand this precept. So back to you, Steve. All right, so the next one is, I vow to live and be lived for the benefit of all beings. Call and response, and then the poetry is, is transcending profane and holy, taking self and others across. So as Kate was mentioning, when Canon appears in the world, Canon will appear as needed and, um, and will get, get down 
in the mud, as it were, which is also something John Idol Lori says. Um, so it's not pity. The Bodhisattva way is not pity, but it's to be with others and it's to benefit all. All. That includes yourself. Notice it's, it's taking self and others across. At Berkeley Zen Center, instead of saying, beings are numberless, I vow to save them, they say, I vow, beings are numberless, I vow to awaken with them. I always thought that was an interesting way to put it. And to the other shore, just to clarify that, in, in it's taking self and others across means to the other shore, which means to freedom from suffering. But the taking in Zen, the taking ourselves and others across is actually freeing ourselves and others from suffering in the taking across. So it's not so goal-oriented. I've even read that they say there's, um, you, you take people across in your boat to the other shore, but there is no other shore, there is no boat, there is no you and there is no others. And then back to the Shobo Genzo, um, Dogen quotes, and, and this is this is something that Kate and I discussed that live and be lived for the benefit of all beings, sort of like is compiling the first two um, precepts of refraining from evil and doing all good slash living in enlightenment. That uh, that's sort of applying it. That's how it how it manifests and how we realize it. And so with all that that preface. Um, Back to the quote I was about to read from the Shogo Genzo, Dogen relates that there was a very well-respected governor um, of a, I guess, a province in, in China named Rakuten. Although, that sounds like a Japanese name to me. Anyway, so I'll, I don't know if I'm, I assume it was China. Anyway, um, he, um, Oh, I'm curious. Will it say? Oh, yeah, it was, it was, it was China. It was the Tang Dynasty. Okay, so Nambrakuten was well known as a governor. He was also well known as a poet. He was truly world or um, renowned. He became world renowned later, apparently. Um, by the time of Dogen, he said, everybody's heard of him. And he trained under meditation master Doran. Now, Rakuten once asked, here's the quote. Rakuten once asked Doran, just what is the major intention of the Buddha Dharma? Doran replied, refrain from all evil whatsoever. Uphold and practice all that is good. Rakuten remarked, if that's all there is to it, even a child of three knows how to do it. Sorry, let me read that again. Rakuten remarked, if that's all there is to it, even a child of three knows how to say that. Doran replied, though a three-year-old child can say it, there are old men in their 80s who still cannot put it into practice. Upon hearing this master, Rakuten then bowed in gratitude. So, Dogen goes on to say that uh, we can learn a lot from the three-year-old child. He takes it a little bit further. So, uh, the message of this is obviously, this is a deep practice. This isn't just some words we say. This is prana practice. And Dogen says all that, but he also says we can learn a lot from the three-year-old child, their very naturalness, that they're not trying to say things. They may not be able to say much even, but we can, we can learn so much from their naturalness and spontaneity. 
And uh, as for the 80-year-old people who don't practice it, well, our way as Buddhists, you talk to the monastics, but if you apply so it's lay people too, our way is to practice, not to just say these fine words, but to really, really put them into our lives, find them on the cushion, find them in the subway. I guess we could say the subway is our version of the dusty realm, which they used to, or the dusty marketplace. So we find them wherever we are. Roger that, over to you, Kate. The other thing Steve and I discussed when we were reading through these three pure precepts is how we both responded to uh, I vow to live and be lived for the benefit of all beings. The language of that for me is consoling in some way and comforting. And I wasn't exactly sure why and, and we talked about it in the heart of being book and, and i think in other places they the language is i vow to actualize good for others and that language still for me puts a separation between me and others i'm doing something for the good of others and when we say i vow to live and be lived to be lived for the benefit of all beings eases that sense of separation for me. So I, I was really grateful for that language. And I have a little bit here to read. What Dogen emphasized in his teachings on giving is the way and spirit in which the giving takes place. True giving means that the giver and the receiver are one reality. When giving happens that way, it is not about doing good anymore. Often, in order to good, we subtly need to be better than the person we are, helping. The Bodhisattva does not practice from a distance. He or she is right there with those being assisted, covered with the same mud. They climb out together because self and other are not two separate entities. The giving of a bodhisattva is effortless and purposeless. There is no payoff, no hidden gold. So in my own life and my own practice, how this becomes apparent for me is most apparent for me recently is I, I have a friend who's uh, has a Parkinson's diagnosis. And there are a couple that my husband Sonny and I have known for many, many years. Sonny for 30 years, me for the 20 <laughs> that Sonny and I have been together. And it's, it's a long way in, uh, uh, the diagnosis. So she's getting more and more debilitated and um, is at a point now where she's shifting out of being able to walk to moving to a walker in a wheelchair and and those kind of things and it it's it's such a dance um trying to understand how to be useful with our friends when we're there for dinner we're all sort of always have an eye out for joe because she wants to walk 
and she wants to cut the lettuce and she wants to participate even as awkward as it is for her and we don't want her to fall <laughs> or to cut herself so it, it's really interesting and people have all kinds of opinions about you know what is neglect and what is so there's no right answer and it changes every time we're with them and this is where i really experience the live and be lived because i i don't i ache for her but i don't pity her to pity her would not i think be in the spirit of what we're trying to practice and i and i don't it doesn't mean I don't ache for her. I mean, this is a woman who was a scuba diver and a runner and, you know, I've known her in all of these manifestations in her own life. So I also feel in this precept, the connection to the earth around me um, more than ever living here it's been 10 years now and I go out every night and look at the forest. And I really get that I wouldn't be breathing without those trees. Um, so I'm being lived by those trees. And I think I was thinking earlier today, 10 years ago, I might have written a poem that says, I see the cedar tree and on and on and on and on with a description of the cedar tree. And I think now, I'm no poet really, but I might say something like, I see the cedar, the cedar sees me. That kind of, that kind of interbeing. I think that's how Thich Nhat Hanh describes it. So I'm gonna finish here with Steve and I were talking about how much we love Dogen, and I was saying I think I could just read Dogen only for the rest of my Dharma life and be happy. <laughs> but anyway, Dogen says, commiserate with a turtle in trouble. Take care of the sparrow suffering from injury. When you see the distressed turtle or watch the sick sparrow, you do not expect any repayment for your favor, but you are moved entirely by your desire to help others. Then he added, therefore, serve enemies and friends equally and assist self and other without discrimination. If you grasp this truth, you will see that this is the reason that even the grass and trees the wind and water are all naturally engaged in the activity of profiting others and your understanding will certainly serve the other's benefit. Which seems to reflect back to what you were talking about, Steve. I was thinking of that quote when I, I said that earlier in fact. So I think our time, we're about at time. If we wanna, did you have more to say, Steve? No, um, I hope people can stick around for questions, but if anyone has to, or comments, but if anyone has to go, I think Kate and I will understand. Anyway, please bring us your questions. Liam. 
Yeah, thank you for that presentation. I never studied these really at all before, and uh, I really appreciate that we're delving into them. And uh, those examples that you gave, Kate, of your friends and the cedar tree is very moving. So, uh, yeah, I don't have a particular question, but I, I just really appreciate it that, uh, and, and, and I thank you guys for the, your presentation it was really wonderful. Thank you. Zach, Steve, you touched on this, but how do these precepts, how are they related to suffering? You know, we, suffering is our state, um, and how do these affect that, or are they affect, do they affect it? And for Kate, too. You know, First of all, where does your question, do they affect it, come from? I, I understand the how, but I don't understand the do they affect it. Well, I guess I'm not sure what I'm trying to say. Um, <clears throat> so we're suffering, and we're trying to, and we feel these in our bones. We've been practicing, we feel these in our bones. Um, <clears throat> do they... Are they a benefit in relieving suffering? Mm -hmm. And how? And how? I see. I see. What's coming to me is to let go of trying to personally benefit. And if I get, if I'm a little bit less goal oriented, I can refrain from the the evil of always wanting to be better, especially wanting to be a better person. I don't know if that's in anybody else's head, but I always want to be a better person. And that's a benefit to myself. And sometimes wanting to help somebody else is a way to be a better person. And I suffer if I want to, if I want to help somebody else in order to be a better person. So to me, refraining from evil is a way to let go of wanting that benefit for myself and others. Doing all good or living enlightenment is to be just awake right now. And then putting in practice being lived, living and be living for the benefit of all beings. I mean, they don't make the difference between myself and others. I don't try to be a better person than I was. I was, I'm competing with myself, I want to be a better person. Maybe I'm competing with other people because other people aren't as good as me. No, living be living for the sake of all beings. So letting go of those goals and wanting benefit. Okay, you have a response? I thought that was a very fine response. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what I can add, and I, I heard a how. How would, might this alleviate suffering? And I'm thinking back to the notes I took earlier where John Daidao Lori talks about the three pure precepts are sort of describe the harmonious buddha nature that's that's the harmony and and 
and the grave precepts are the how. So my understanding is that is it Anyutara Samyak Sambodhi, that's freedom from suffering. So grounding our practice in these pure precepts and the how of the precepts that follow are the pointing at the moon. <laughs> that's pointing your finger at the moon or, or the path, I think, to alleviate suffering. That, that would be my understanding. I think one example of um, jumping up to help somebody, but not expecting a thank you or anything, just doing it, um, seems, um, or wasn't there the story of giving up your place on the boat without racing your hands, yeah, just jumping off? Those things to me seem like um, they make you you feel good afterwards, <laughs> which is kind of the opposite of suffering. I'm, I'm struggling to, to describe what I'm wondering about, but, um, but thank you guys. That was wonderful, by the way. I, can, I, can I add that, um, that Mary has often said that it's okay to take pleasure in your practice? but not be proud of it. So I think that might address something of what you said. I think so too. I, I, I think we're worried about joy. <laughs> oh my, I'm happy. I'm not being serious enough or something. I know I, I, I see a lot of joy in Zen practice. I, I've seen it in others, and it's something that was part of the attraction for me. I think particularly Zen practice is seen as very hard and strict and regimented, and uh, the, but the teachers that I know and admire are, are joyful. And I think they're joyful at a, as a result of living out embodying the precepts and the and and all that we're studying right now does that make sense zach yes okay thank you right it's weird because i can't see you i just hear you over on the side over there you, you just got out for the record <laughs> all right and lisa did you have anything you wanted to add? You're muted. Uh, I just wanted to ask uh, about Kanon appearing as a demon. I don't know. Say more. I'm not sure I can <laughs> about that part. Maybe she needs to scare somebody away to protect someone else or scare you into moving when you're frozen. That, that's just off the top of my head. I would have to uh, sit with it and maybe read a little more to understand 
what immediately comes to mind is when when Siddhartha is sitting under the Bodhi tree and you know all of the demons rise up it, that's an opportunity for him to remain upright Steve did you have something to add about that well the, the term fierce compassion comes to mind I suppose that um, a parent who is wants their child not to touch the hot stove uh, might appear uh, as a demon to that child stay away from that yeah. and, and that's kind of appearing as a demon so something along those lines is how I would respond to it all right Beans are numberless. I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become it. Beings are numberless. I vow to save them. Illusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to end them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become it. Beings are numberless. I vow to save them. Illusions are inexhaustible. I vow to enter. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become it.